I forget, uh, there's donation receipts at the back if you haven't picked yours up. And today I think is uh, Arnhem's last day of uh, showing his art, uh, his art project on 20th. So it's pretty cool because he stepped out. He, that's what he does for a living now. So if you're wondering what to do after church, pick up a coffee and go to the art show on 20th um, by the, what's it called? Something South Surrey Rec Center. Thank you. Excellent. What? <laughs> is, it, is anybody else hear that voice? <laughs> oh, Turnbull Art Center or something like that. Yeah. Okay, cool. Amazing. Yeah. So if you can, please make it to that. Um, today, I, 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 uh, I'm going to get you guys to try and really not just think with your heads, but I need your imagination today. Because we're going to go to a place that uh, in Luke is absolutely incredible. And I think if you uh, just understand, we don't have to just enter into our Greek minds, but we can actually enter, like use our imagination, use our senses, pay attention. And we're going to have a little bit of artwork, hopefully that will show in just a minute. But this is, I think, an incredible portion of Scripture where we actually look in to see who Jesus is more clearly. And when we do that, we see ourselves more clearly. Before we jump in, i got to tell you a fishing story. That, what would preaching be without a fishing story? I was packed up. It was a sunny day. It was sunny in the first service, at least. And um, I was packed up and uh, just last-minute things to throw in my half ton. And then right when we're ready to go... My oldest, who's 22, back then he was, I don't know, 13 or 14, he comes up to me and he says, Dad, yeah. He says, I don't want to go. So my face, compared to my heart, was quite different because, oh, why is that? But meanwhile, I'm going, what? In my heart, right? Because, I mean, I was ready to go. Seriously, within a minute, we were going to go and run to the ferries. So there was all sorts going on for him. But here's one thing that really, uh, I think, was a big factor, is when he was around 12-ish, we were out at Bajo Reef, and that's where he put his lines down, and he pulled up a 50-pound salmon, 50 pounds. You guys, we run the gauntlet. When we're done, we come over to the same, everybody comes to the same place, and we come on the docks, and then there's all the old men that are smoking and drinking no matter what time of day it is, and they see this little 12-year-old holding this thing, 50 pounds, like 50 pounds, right? So... Old men have fished their whole lives. Haven't even got close to a 50-pound salmon, right? So now my kid's like, meh, been there, done that. <laughs> meh, you know? Mountaintop experience, he comes down to the valley and uh, he doesn't go fishing with me anymore. Sad, 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 sad. There's another illustration of, if you remember the good old movie, Chariots of Fire, Oscar-winning movie. Two athletes it was talking about, 1920 Paris Olympics. Harold Abrahams, after a gigantic struggle with, against him, Himself and um, other runners, he achieved gold medal in the 100-yard dash. And then Eric Little, who you know about, is the devout Christian who had refused to run on Sunday. So he switched events, and he won the gold in the 440 yards. Really moving story, kind of a double story. But after the games, they pictured the movie, uh, all the athletes returning on this boat train over to London, and they're spilling out into the station, Waterloo Station. Everybody except Harold Abrahams. His girlfriend waits anxiously, and the crowd is thinning out, thinning out, thinning out, thinning out. And finally, he comes out. He's achieved what he set out to do, Abraham's. He has this long, coveted prize in his hand, and he's been up on the mountain. But he's one of the last ones 
off the train and he's realizing that whatever he does from now on, he will never stand up on that mountaintop again. He has to come back down to the valley and face reality. Well, somebody told me today that today is Transfiguration Day in the church calendar. Is that correct? You know that? Anyone? Anyway, uh, we're talking about Transfiguration today. I had no clue. But apparently on the church calendar, you know, it's Transfiguration Day. So we want to talk about that. We want to talk about mountaintop experiences. But that mountaintop experiences are not just for you. You're supposed to come down and use those mountaintop experiences to feed your spirit when things feel dry and also for opportunities to reach out to others, to reach out to needy people. Because you have seen, and like Josiah said, you've looked into the face of Jesus. So before we jump in, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for um, that was a piece of heaven today. Revelation going on there with um, worship time. All the, different kind, all the different folks and all their different kinds of um, giftings that you've given them, right from the sax to drums to piano to voices. Man, I just thank you for that. And Lord, help that to usher us in to what we're going to be looking at today. Help us, Lord, to engage the wholeness of who we are. We're going to be looking at a portion of scripture, Jesus, that I think is just so important and also needs to engage all of who we are. So, Father, help my words not get in the way, but may folks see you for who you are and who you desire for us to come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Guadalupe, I also sent you a couple other pictures that you might be able to bring up. But this is an awesome one. So anyway, transfiguration. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 9. And we're going to be starting at verse 27. 27, uh, last week we also read 27 because we looked at um, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow Jesus. Remember that? And it's kind of cool because right after that we're going into the transfiguration of the mountaintop. But we read 27 last week, and we're going to read it again this week. Because this is what it says. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. So today they're actually seeing something wild that only three of them saw. But let me read it for you uh, again out of Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 28. So about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with them, and they went up to a mountain to pray. As he was praying... The appearance of his face changed. His clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses, Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, or his exodus, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were were very sleepy, if you can believe that. Peter's companions were very sleepy. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. And the two men standing with him, as the men were leaving Jesus, Peter says, Master, this is good for us to be here. Let's, let's put up three shelters. Let's put up three tents. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, and then a cloud appeared, and now the cloud covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. 
When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. And in, in the account that we see in Matthew, they also say that Jesus said to them, don't tell anybody about this. Verse 37. The next day when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, teacher, I beg of you, look at my son, for he's my only child. That's a theme. Only child is a theme within Luke. A spirit seizes him and he suddenly screams out. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus said, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son to me. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. Isn't this cool too? They were amazed at the greatness of God. But who pulled off the miracle here too? Jesus. So even right there, it's, he's constantly, Luke was writing again to Theophilus. And he's showing God's power, but Jesus... And it's just like, wait a second. So he's making him scratch his head about the deity of Jesus Christ. He's the God-man. All the gospel writers follow the story of the transfiguration. That's what this is called, the transfiguration. The story with the story of the boy who's desperately ill, so sick, and his disciples can't cure him. You guys, his parents, his dad is beside himself. It's his only kiddo. And can you imagine watching your only kid disintegrate into nothing he's taken over by an evil spirit and he's terribly unhealthy and now it's just like he's desperate and he cries out to Jesus they seem to be telling us that the two stories kind of go together this mountaintop experience but you can't stay on the mountain you got to come down to the valley you got to come down to the valley but let's be honest, one author points out to me as I was reading this, is that many of us love to dwell in the plateau. Many of us don't want the mountaintop experience, nor do we want to go down to the valley. We just want to... Right? We don't want any big things because I think when we understand mountaintop experiences meeting Jesus, we know that that comes with an accountability and a transformation that brings it down to the valley where we meet people and help people out. So we just like, let's keep Jesus at a distance here because I don't want to get too hardcore. But here we're seeing both this mountaintop experience and the guys that had just been with Jesus can't get rid of a demon. And Jesus comes and releases the boy and gives the boy back as a gift to his dad. It's interesting because they don't use the same word metamorpho that they do in Romans 12, 1 and 2. And I think Luke uses it and others think that perhaps because he's, he's actually talking to a uh, crowd of Greeks that there's a chance that they would take that kind of word and start to get it confused with the Hellenistic picture of God which would also be polytheism. So polytheism is and they had a whole bunch of different gods. So if they if you use a certain word it could be that their minds might now escape to different gods and stuff like that. And he wants them to understand that this transformation is different than that. This is a transfiguration 
as we're going to see in a bit. Another peculiar note here is verse 36. Again, we see a voice from heaven. The cloud comes there enwrapped with fear. And this, this voice from heaven says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And what does it say? Listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to him. The three were there. We have Jesus. We have Elijah. And we have Moses. How cool would it have been to be a fly on the wall or an ant in the ground and saw this meeting? And they spoke of the Exodus. And they all had something to say about the Exodus. By Exodus, I mean leaving. Because Jesus was about to leave pretty soon. Moses, you know, the great exodus from Egypt, where his people had been horribly abused. They were slaves, treated horribly. And a fantastic story of how God's power and God had moved them beyond slavery and brought them freedom. We also know, looking at the other guy, we see that Elijah had a fantastic exodus, some that we can only dream about, and he's one of the guys that went off in a fiery chariot, never to be seen again, except right here. So now Jesus is here and the three of them are having this commentary on the Exodus. And Jesus, I'm guessing, is also talking about the great Exodus when he will leave this earth. But more than that, he offers to us an Exodus from our life of sin. So what Jesus is about to do will actually give and pave us the way that he's going to die on the cross and rise again so that now we can actually find an exodus from our way of sin, our way of life, and we can find freedom in living in Jesus. We can start this road to transformation. Isn't that good news? And that's what's happening here, this whole story of exodus. This whole story of exodus. So Peter, he's here, and this is a glorious moment. And I think he does what all of us want to do. So therefore, let's just jump into my little outline here. I want to kind of look at three different things. I want to look at a tent. I want to look at the cloud. And I want to look at valleys today. So when it comes to the tent, I think with Peter, we could all imagine ourselves at this beautiful place. Can I have that artwork up again, Guadalupe? Uh, we can all imagine ourselves at this beautiful place where all of a sudden we wake up and we see, uh, this one doesn't work out too good, but nonetheless, or this one. You see the three figures there? And then your original one, Guadalupe? Yeah, the, that, that you had on the big fourth service. Look at that. So I don't know. I would encourage you to go home, go onto Google, and then type in Transfiguration. And images. And then let that be a part of your worship experience. There's fantastically gifted artists out there that get your imagination going. So use, use art as a form to draw near to Christ. So here, all of these pictures. I, last night I was a bit of a mess at my kitchen table. Listening to fantastic worship music. Studying this. And then looking at this art. I was like, oh boy. So I was nervous to get up here this morning. Because I'm just going to get in the way of something that's so beautiful. If you just engage your minds. And engage your hearts into this process. Peter, he's fantastic. He's a go guy. Go, go, go. And he goes, this is so good. Let's build tents. Let's build tents. He's pretty much saying, let's preserve this feeling. Let's preserve this experience. And I'll build three tents for you guys. And he wants to package this up. There's a country song, and if I could bottle this up, 
you know, I could sell a million kind of thing, right? And that's what he's doing. If I could just bottle this up, then I could take this experience with me and never forget it again. But he's also forgetting that these mountaintop experiences are not just for him. This mountaintop experience is also there and quickly they have to go down to a valley experience because they take their mountaintop experience, come down and they share that with people that are in the valley. And let's be honest, we can't live on a mountaintop experience. We need valleys and we need clouds. In fact, I would say that we all need mountaintop experiences, we all need valleys and we all need clouds for us to experience transformation. For us to experience transformation, we need all of this. So he has this desire to stay here, to be here. And I think part of it probably would be also to stay safe. I mean, when you actually experience Christ in this beautiful, intimate way, it's just like you don't want anything to change. But then that experience may go away where you've had this intimacy with the Lord and you're back to reality like the disciples were. He wants to set up tents. When I think of tents, I also am reminded of what John says in chapter 1. He says, And the word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. He's talking about Jesus. The word became flesh and tabernacled. Another word is tented among us. So even Jesus came, but he came for a while. He came in a tent in his body for a while. And then he ascended on high, but he did that so that he could send the Holy Spirit of God to be in Malawi and in White Rock and in Manitoba and in Saskatchewan, all over the place at one time. Isn't it comforting to you that whatever your ailment is or whatever's going on in your mind right now, the Holy Spirit wants to do something in your life while the Lord is still juggling things in in Malawi? Like, think about the power of God. And this is what we're talking about here. And Peter wants to build a tent to this. But Jesus, like I said in John chapter 1, he tabernacled among us. He was here for a temporary time so that he could finally do what he came to do, which we call the gospel. He came, died on the cross and rose again, brought us new life, and now has sent us the enabler, the Holy Spirit of God. But I also find it interesting that scripture also reminds us many times throughout it that we are like tents. We're like the tents of the Holy Spirit. So when you have a transformational experience with Jesus Christ, you have him in, in your life, the Holy Spirit of God resides in you. So wherever you go, the Spirit of God goes. I know I say that a lot, but I, I think I got to. It's got to sink in. The Spirit of God goes wherever you... So if you walk out of here and go to Savon, if you walk out of here and go to a ball game, if you go walk out of here and you go to Arnhem's art show, the Holy Spirit of God has gone there. This is incredible stuff. You are a tent. Which also reminds us that we are here for a while. So if we spend our whole lives just collecting, 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 and building your little heaven on earth here, you're not getting the right picture. We're here for a while. We're tents. We're tents of the Holy Spirit. And he spoke to them about his departure. And I think he's also whetting our appetite to realize that we too can have an exodus from our life of sin and we can find real freedom in Jesus Christ. Our tents. Mountaintop experiences are not just for us. It's for our growth. 
It's so that we get a better vision of who Jesus is. And when we get a better vision of who Jesus is, we get a better vision of who we are. And if that happens, this mountaintop experience is to help us to serve others, which brings us to the cloud. We come to the cloud, the cloud that enveloped the disciples. The cloud that enveloped the disciples. Can you imagine what was going on here? They finally wake up, and then they see something beautiful, and they, can't, they can hardly describe it. They want to build tents. They want this to last forever. And then a cloud comes around them. And I don't know about you, but even when the sun shines, I have a better day. When the clouds come, it feels more clammy. It doesn't feel at home. It feels more cold. And sometimes it brings fear. And that's what these guys were saying, that all of a sudden the cloud was there. They couldn't see anything. And a voice from heaven says, listen, listen to him. This is my son. So another confirmation of who Jesus is, even when it's cloudy. Think about that for a second. They have just seen with incredible, with incredible vision who Jesus is. A cloud comes and brings a fear. But within that fear, this voice says, this is my son. Listen to him. You guys have said it before. You got to remember in the dark what God has shown you in the light. And bam, within this story, we have both right away. We have an exhilaration of, oh my goodness, to, oh my goodness, because the clouds around them. And instantly, God ministers to them by speaking who this is. This is my son. Incredible stuff going on in this story. And I like it because even throughout Scripture, if we would follow this theme throughout Scripture of the cloud, it's interesting that how God has led his people many times using a cloud, and he does so even in this portion of Scripture. This is my son, now listen to him, even in the dark valleys or even in the clouds. We see another cloud when it comes to the ascension. By the ascension, what I mean is we know that he rose from the grave... And then he spent a bit of time with his disciples and they finally had him back and we're going, whew, finally, we thought we lost you there. But then as they're speaking at the ascension, then all of a sudden his feet started to rise off the ground and people are, you can imagine, trying to hold on to him. But soon he just continues to raise and raise and raise up into the sky and he's gone within the clouds. And they're going, now what happened? And I can imagine at that cloudy event that some people were pumped they had been on the mountaintop experience. They knew this had to happen. And I'm wondering, some others are probably standing there. It took a little bit of time to contemplate. And I'm still wondering if some guys might still be there today, still looking up in the clouds going, what just happened here? I don't know. But contemplation really brings with it this feeling of, and the sense of, to contemplate means to weigh. To put on a scale and weigh. So I had a great conversation even yesterday with a dad who is so burdened that his children don't just grow up in Sunday school and learn all these answers to jam in their head and never be changed. That's dangerous even. Folks, we need, like we need, and our kids need to understand, to have a heart change, to have transformation happen, not just cognitive information, information, information. Information doesn't change you. The Holy Spirit of God applying that information, looking into the eyes of Jesus, having a glimpse of who he is, who I am, and being changed. Being changed. I imagine that in both of these cloud experiences, disciples were left with a choice to press in 
in these cloudy circumstances or perhaps to distance themselves in fear. And I think we have the same choice today. Even when it seems that it's quiet, even when it seems cloudy, even when it seems that what's going on with God, you have had mountaintop experiences. And we have seen throughout scripture and throughout history that folks need to drive into God, drive into the heart of Jesus. Because he has shown himself faithful. Now continue to press in, in faithfulness, even in the clouds or even in the valleys. We need tents, we need clouds, and we need valley experiences, I think, to lead us to transformation. Wright says this, The more open we are to God and to the different dimensions of his glory, the more we seem to be open to the pain of this world. So the more that we're open to God and his glory, his dimensions of glory, the more we seem to be open to the pain of this world. We are right to be wary when we return from some great worship experience, when we rise from a time of prayer in which God has seemed so close and his love real and powerful. These things are never given for your or their own sake, but so that as we are equipped by them, God can use us within this needy world, Wright goes on to say. Isn't that beautiful? So Josiah touched on it. It's not just me and Jesus. It's us and Jesus. We have to have an usness to our transformational work in Christ. Their past informed their present and their future for that matter. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew, but here uh, they also said they saw the whole transfiguration. They saw heaven meet earth. They saw his garments. They saw his face. And what did they do? They kept quiet, right? And I'm not sure why, probably partly because Jesus said something, like don't say anything, but also I'm going like, who is ever going to believe this experience? First Peter, we catch up with them, and it says, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from a majestic glory saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice, Peter says, that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable and you will do well to pay attention to it or to contemplate it or to weigh it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. Above all, you must understand, Peter says, that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. Nope. For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So here, so, so much longer later, Peter reveals what happened that day and he gives testimony to what happened at the transfiguration. And he has seen God. He has seen Jesus in his glory. And here he's given the backup or he's given a background of you can believe his testimony because I saw it for myself. 
A response to this good news leads to transformation. So we see Peter at that place of mountaintop. We see Peter down in the clouds. We see Peter down in the valleys. And now we see him giving testimony again as, you can believe this stuff. I've been with Jesus through thick and thin, through the clouds, through the valleys, through the mountaintops. And now he's given testimony of transformation. And tra transformation isn't just for Peter. It's for us too, you guys. Listen to uh, 2 Corinthians 3. It says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Let me say that again. 1 Corinthians 3, 4, 18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. What does it tell us to do there? Contemplate. He's telling us to contemplate the Lord's glory. So often when we're in, we're in trouble, we might phone the doctor or the counselor or buy a self-help book, and these are all good things. But he's also saying contemplate, wait, take time to gaze into the face of Jesus. Take time to be quiet before him. Take time to let him speak. Be moved. What does he want to say to you? Contemplate his glory. Are being transformed into his image. I find this absolutely beautiful. So we see here this mountaintop experience within the same story. A cloudy experience. And then they come down into the valley where they couldn't even heal somebody. And Jesus had to take over again. But all of this, you guys... These are things, these are experiences that lead us into transformation. And that's what he wants as a disciple. Transform disciples. Tents of the Holy Spirit walking about White Rock and Langley and beyond. So, perhaps today you're living in the fumes of past victory. Perhaps today you're living in a, in a tent. A former tent of connection. Oh, the good old days. You look back in 1983 where you just felt so close to Jesus. You think Jesus just wants you to think about the tent all day long? Or your mountaintop experience? He wants you to contemplate and press in. Or maybe you're still staring up at the clouds. Or maybe you're experiencing the fear of the clouds. The clamminess of them. Or perhaps you're going through a valley experience today I'm not sure but what I do know in that all those cases he wants us to contemplate him he wants us to contemplate his glory and I mean really contemplate and I guarantee you will be on the road to transformation Heavenly Father I thank you for this fantastic account and for the glimpse that we have into your glory and your transformation. And you don't leave us hanging because you also realize, we also realize that when heaven meets earth, that also means something for our transformation. So Father, help us, Lord, to take time even today, be it uh, going uh, and, and looking at some art, uh, be it going for a walk, be it contemplating your scripture, um, be it simply sitting quietly or going for a walk in nature. But Lord, 
saturate our thoughts, saturate our heart. May you, Lord, do something in our contemplation that brings about transformation, that we would become deeper and better disciples of Jesus Christ. We, Lord, are the tents of the Holy Spirit, and you're calling us into the valley of the world to share our transformation with folks that need to hear the good news. We pray this in your powerful name. Amen. Take me on.